This is Philosophy versus Improv, where two sages try to teach each other a thing or two, and maybe you, the audience, get something out of it as well. I'm Mark Lutzemeyer, a philosophy meaning monger who today seeks meaning through improvisation. And I am Bill Arnett, an improv monger, seller, I guess, of improv, who is curious about buying philosophy. And our special guest, Dee, introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Dee Bradley Baker. I'm a voice actor and dad, a recovering philosophy major from college, <laughs> and open to whatever affirmations I can throw at what comes at me. And you have done some improv among your comedic training. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I spent a couple of years flopping around on the stage with the SAC Theater folks down in Orlando Theater, and they were very, very good, and I learned a lot from them along with a lot of other live performing that I did at the time, uh, right around 1990, back in the Shire. I mean, in general, I just think there's a lot to say about the improvisational stance towards writing or creating or parenting or living. And in general, it's just this really useful frame of how to process your life, as well as a conversation. Sure. Someone is ready to talk about the cross-section of these two (laughs) disciplines. Very nice. Thank you. For folks who are maybe not familiar with the show, Bill and I each prepared a lesson of some sort. I, as a philosopher, have a philosophy lesson in mind. Bill has an improvisation lesson in mind as improv instructor. We have not told each other or our guests what these are. They will emerge organically through conversation without us hopefully just throwing it out right up front. Bill, how should we get started here? Do you have a question for our guest? Do you have a a prompt? Do you have something? Something I I wanted to explore is this You know, many times people get kind of hung up on, well, there's good ideas and there's bad ideas. And a good idea just kind of writes itself and a bad idea will never be good. It doesn't matter. And I don't think that's a a healthy attitude to have. It's You know, it's true in writing and it's true in all kinds of of artistic vocations. And I've always felt like an improv has certainly reinforced this notion that a bad idea, quote unquote, that you work at will go further than a great idea you just kind of slap together in, in 23 skidoo. Well, that just sounds like a bad idea. Everything. Just <laughs> let's work at it. Let's work at it. No, no. Well, I, I think one of the things we can illustrate, and again, when you're teaching improvisers, especially in this style and tone of work that ends up happening in Chicago, you don't want people judging their ideas before they even out of their head or the moment they're out of their head. We've just got to dive in and do it. And one way to de-emphasize scene beginnings and scene tops is something that we can do right now. If that's cool with everybody. I'm cool. I'm cool with that. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I'm going to start a scene. And all I ask, all I ask that both of you or one of you, whoever ends up responding, has a clear emotional choice as to how they feel about what I say. I'm going to say in advance, this is going to be D will (laughs) will be the the initial respondent because I want to make sure you're included right from the beginning. So you want a, a precipitous and clear emotional response to whatever yeah. is happy, to... sad. Okay. <laughs> Those are the only Tentious. two emotions. Those are the only two. And everything, everything in between. It doesn't okay. need to be over the top. It doesn't need to be ridiculous. Okay. Just make it clear that we all know what it is. Is that cool? That's all cool, right. I think. Yeah. <laughs> Cool-esque. We'll see, we'll see how this goes. We'll see how this goes. I'm just going <clears> to... <throat> I got the car loaded. Uh, we are ready to go. I'm never leaving home again. I can't get in that car. Huh? I'm afraid of, of, of even leaving it all. You know I'm agoraphobic to begin with, and I just, I can't be outside. I can't get in that You're car. agoraphobic? I'm agoraphobic. I can't even watch documentaries about the man. The, the internet is the greatest gift of our time. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and we got you to college in the fall, and I think we can get you there this spring, huh? We okay. can get you back, buddy. Okay, Dad. Let's get you okay, back. Okay, Dad, I'll get in the car. Let's go. I'll, I'll go with it, Dad. Okay. Despite all my misgivings. <laughs> is, there, is there really a point, though? I mean, with the global warming... Bert? I know you're training, you're, you're in school for, it seems like you have a bright future ahead of it. But, you know, if Mr. Gore is right and this whole place is going to be under the sea within uh, five years, like, what is the point, really? Well, Brother Marky, you know, Al Gore is my jam. And he's just convinced me that I shouldn't even get in a car. I mean, not only do not, I not want to leave the house, but anything I do outside of my house increases my carbon footprint. And there's nothing I want any less than to add that kind of burden to the planet, this poor, overburdened planet. Okay, so, Marky, don't make this more difficult I, for me. I would okay, appreciate, I, I know, Dad, could you also call me Brother Marky? Because I have the collar to show well, it. Well, you went to seminary school. You've earned it, Marky. <laughs> you, you have. You have. <laughs> brother Marky. Brother, you, brother okay, Marky. Actually, that is weird, Dad. Don't call me Brother Marky. Can, can you make this easy for me? I need to get your little bro off to college, all right? You just 
kept it from happening. All right. I get shotgun though, right? He has to sit in the back with all his stuff. That's fu- that's fine. I'm just going to sit here with my headphones on and not talk to either of you for the four hours in the car. Can we at least bike? Can we bike together maybe? Could we? I, I'm just, again, the carbon footprint thing. And me and Al, I, look, I was talking to Al Gore this morning. And we just had a whole conversation about bicycles and how it's really, it's the only way to turn this thing around. And I just, in addition to be afraid of open spaces, I just want to help save the planet. That was so brave of you to talk to Al Gore, given that he's the thing you're most... He's often in a bad mood in the mornings, too. But this morning, I think it's because things are going so badly on Twitter for Elon Musk that he's in a good mood. I caught him at a good moment. You've been talking to Al Gore. Yes. It would be irrational for him for to be afraid of Al Gore if he had not been talking to Al Gore. Yeah, he's my bro. He's my pal. He's also in the seminary. We message each other. Y'all, we've got a long day ahead of us. All right. We got to get Dennis to college. Marky, right. you're welcome to come with us. Yeah. But we need to get this show on the road. All right. Not only do I want shotgun, I want to sleep while we go. So I'm going to lean the seat back. So you're going to have 25% less room for your stuff. Well, why in the, why in the make bag. this difficult? Why make this difficult? Must we call it shotgun always? I, I, that makes me, I'm uncomfortable with that kind of nomenclature. It, it just, Cause it's where like, the shotgun goes. I mean, <sighs> I have to be able to reach the shotgun. I, if I, we see the, the, the banditos, it's more the things that have, uh, you know, the polar bears, there's no ice caps for them and they come down here. Where else are they going to go? They're just going to die out otherwise. Like, can we at least put the shotguns in the trunk this time? Sure. I mean, my seat will be leaned back. I'll be able to reach I'm it. I'm uncomfortable more or less with a loaded gun in the front. How about we put the loaded guns in the house and leave them here and we all get in the car and drive little brother who already struggles with agoraphobia? I'm struggling with and, so much. And various fears. And we've, we've got the buy-in. Let's not lose it. I'll tell you what, Marky, you can pick where we stop for lunch, okay? Can we stop at Stuckey's? I want to buy novelties. You want another pecan roll? Do I ever? I mean, Stuckey's <laughs> is reasonable. Sake. I just thought you need at least three guns to get into Stuckey's. Isn't that the rule? It's not a rule. That's not a rule anymore, I don't think. Mm. So we're good? We yeah, can do this, I, everybody? All right, all right. Oh, I mean, all okay. right. All right. Okay. So uh, we're we're all packed. Scene. Okay. I'm going to stop right there. there go. Only <laughs> to, 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 to illustrate. It was, it was fine. The scene was fine. Where's the blackout button on for on yeah. Zoom? <laughs> Very effective on on audio, by the way. The blackout. Oh, <clears throat> we made a little radio play there. <laughs> to, il- to illustrate the point I'm going for, I want to restart another scene, and this time, Mark, you're going to respond. Does that make sense? Sure. But I want a different, clear emotional reaction to the first line. Does that make sense? Okay. So D was a little reprehend- not reprehensive. Was sort of apprehensive. Re- apprehensive, fearful. I was, I was trying not to block. I was trying not to go down that path. I was trying to be fearful. It was a fine line, and I don't know if I negotiated that. Block all you want. I don't care. I, I, I'm <laughs> Pro-blockage today. <laughs> the, the style up here in Chicago, and certainly my style, hey, it happens in life. It can happen on stage. Let's just all be right. people. It's just something for me to get around, and I have fun doing it. Blockage so, happens. <laughs> Mark, are you ready to I'm ready to respond, to respond with a different emotion? With feeling. All right, I got the car packed up. We're ready to roll. I'm stoked. Let's, yeah. let's not even get in the car. Let's just be there. Heck yeah. All right, everybody. Hell now yeah. Now we're talking. Now car we're talking. time with Marky. Yeah, let's when go. It's just when we're in the car, though, you know I like the pure car experience. Mm, the good stuff. The pure stuff. You got to be really focused. Like, Dad, mm. I want your eyes on the road. Yeah. My, I'm going to be operating the stereo. Dennis, you're going to be. Oh, yeah. You're going to be in back. I don't know, playing with yourself. I don't know what the people in the back do. But I am the, kicking us, it. Us people in the car on the front, we will be focused. Like, the car will be the exemplary car. We are going to do this fucking thing. Go time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome, y'all. This is cool. I mean, this is the closest place we get tickets for the concert. We got to drive to Indianapolis, and I hope that's okay with everybody. But, like, let's do it. Yeah? That is the place you want to be. I just got to make some ham sandwiches, and I'm good to go. I'm going to sit in the car and start focusing while you make the freaking sandwiches. I figured to make us All right. here. Like make no, this, you don't have to sit in the car. Sit, we, could, we could just get Stucky's drive-thru. I mean, just, I'm going to sit in the, I want to be <gasps> ready. Stucky's. I'm, I'm in the car mode. Okay, yeah, fine. We, we make, make some sandwiches. That's fine. We, I don't think Stucky's has a drive-thru, FYI. I got my sandwiches. I'm ready to go. All right. If you drive fast enough through the side of the Stucky's, it's a drive-thru. Huh? The car, I mean, it is a weapon. You can drive it through anything let's, you want. Let's like, drive this it is right through of, that Stuckies. Right through it. Part of the, the essence of car hood is to focus, to be f- driving. I like road trips, too. This is going to be a great road trip, all right? Yeah, just don't tell mom we're going. She doesn't like us going on road trips. Oh, 
I didn't. Don't worry. Do not worry. Mum is the word. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't like how I insist that we drive right in the center. If it's two lanes, we got to take up both lanes. We got to be right in the center of the road because it's like you're really driving. I'm going to go ahead and back mom on that one. We should probably stay in uh, either the left or right lane as we're driving. And if I'm driving, that's where I'm going to, that's where I'm going to stay. But I'm, I'm just glad you guys are enthusiastic about this. Oh, yeah. All right. So, Marky, you're in charge of tunes. D, yep. you got the sandwiches. Let's hit it, y'all. Let's hit it. It's going to be uh, the same Judas Priest. We're going to get the entire Judas Priest catalog. We're going to start with their first album, with their, their first tune. We're going to go straight through to the present. I mean, we, we can listen to other stuff, too. Nope. Right. That's what driving music is. How Judas about Priest. Sheena Easton. Yeah. Little Sheena Easton. That's a big range from Judas Priest to Sheena I mean, Easton. We I like line. to switch wanna, it wanna, up wanna... on the drive. Yeah. How about every hour, one person's in charge of the radio, and they pick, and how about that? I think that's all right, all right. I, I want Sheena Easton after, at least after one Priest. Sheena Easton hit. Ju- Judas Priestin. After I, Judas I think that was, a, that was their collaboration. Is that from the 1983? They Sheena Priestin. Little... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That could just be mythical. I mean, we'll see when we get to 1983. Oh, it's going to be mythical. Such, such a thing emerges. Be. I'm cool, by the way, if we just skip ahead with Judas. We'll just skip right to point of entry. I think that's when they really kind of got their stuff together, that album. I like to hear the solo work by the individuals before they were even in the band, so you can really see how it came together. Your hour, you can do whatever you want. Each member has, uh, you know, some recorded stuff. Some of it is just like audio diary entries, just home movies that have been transcribed uh, onto Spotify. It's a rich tapestry. Yeah. Everybody use the bathroom? Everyone's bathroomed up? Tank is empty. Cool. cool. I mean, if you think that that's not part of the road experience is to have to stop. Use public restrooms? There's always yes. Stuckies. The Stuckies restrooms are, are sort of... Kind of the point of the trip. I mean, but other than that, staying right in the middle of the road. That's I'll be driving. uh, Metaphorically. And we'll stop right there. Well done, everybody. Mark, what do you think? Or or what was the lesson there? What did we learn? Well, I only knew what I was trying to impose (laughs) in it, which was something about what do you think? Who's going to describe whose lessons first? D, guess at either lesson. Uh, the lesson, the lesson was stopping off at Stuckey's is always fun when you're on an adventure. It was very specific. <laughs> Are you familiar with, with Stuckey's, Mark? I don't know if they have Stuckey's up in this part of the No, country. I've never been to a Stuckey's. It is merely really? a name. Oh, you get a pecan logro with every fella. I also don't know any Judas Priest songs, <laughs> so I couldn't name a either. single member of Judas Priest, <laughs> oh for instance. Gosh. I- <laughs> well, when this is over, everybody jump on YouTube, heading out to the highway. What an appropriate song, Judas Priest song for the, for the road trip. Okay, now to the highway. If you're going through Kansas, then you can stop off at Stuckey's. Yeah, I'm not sure where the nearest Stuckey's is to, is to here. There's fewer and fewer, but there's still a few. So I can guess, Bill, what okay. you're, I mean, is it just something about the variety of, you could have the same exact starting point, but then you use the emotion that somebody was coming at it with to uh, respond and you set a different scene. So it's sort of like putting the same scene in a different key. Sure. What does that mean about, the value of a of a first line it means it's pointless. There's no there's no value because I determine, <laughs> or there's any value or all values. So it, it depends on the spin or the the navigation that you bring to whatever's been delivered in the infirmary or, <laughs> or but yeah, whatever little baby's been dropped into your hands, uh, you know you can take it any any kind of life you want to train it to or bring it to. Sure, de-emphasizing beginnings of scenes. Not letting students get nervous. What am I going to say? It's like, it doesn't matter because the scene will emerge between you and your partner. It's not your responsibility yeah. on yourself. Yeah. 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 For me, I, I always tell people that when I'm doing a voiceover session, they're often, you know, incredibly different from each other in tone and in genre and style is that I don't show up prepared, but I show up ready. This kind of stance of just being ready to go in any direction that the story calls to you or maybe in a collaboration or maybe it's a scene out of nothing. And you're by yourself on a stage. But so long as that's not a fearful prospect, then you have this ableness of mind to bring something out of the firmament so that you can start moving forward with a story that is interesting and that rolls along into hopefully a fruitful and fun direction. Sure, sure. Having a VO artist here, and I think the precious little VO I have done I think one of the things that people on the outside don't understand about what happens, but you might speak to this better. You may have a better thing that people who don't know anything about voice acting, what they assume happens and what the reality is. And the thing that always stood out to me, and you may have a different one, is 
the people who are producing it, they don't know what it's supposed to sound like. <laughs> mm-hmm. And <laughs> you're not trying to match something in their brain. You're trying to bring yourself to it. Yeah, like an audience, an audience knows what they like when they hear it. And a producer or a writer often usually know what they like when they hear it. And some are are hyper-specific in terms of what they want, and they'll give you a line read, and that's that. But the best sessions and most sessions, and, and really most improv, in my experience, are the ones where you bring out something that surprises you, that delights you, and it also surprises and delights the audience as well, but it's not put out there in a pre-programmed or pre-planned kind of a manner. That's that's the thing I think that drew me to the voice acting side of acting is that there is a script, but there's a lot of improvisation and a lot of freedom around the portrayal of that script that happens right in the moment and you don't have to memorize it. And, <laughs> and it's just kind of, you make it and you're done. Yeah. That's something that I like about improv. And that's something that I like about voice acting too, which is very improvisational. Yeah, I think a lot of the producers will be like, oh, oh that sounds fun. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Like, <laughs> It's the ones that are open to their script being better than they thought it was going to be, or maybe different from their original idea. Those end up with a much better product or show or commercial or episode or whatever. Sure, sure. And Bill, D was telling me before that, you know, because he was been involved in a Star Wars product, a lot of people hiring him think he's Kenny Baker and they just want him to do the beeps and boops and bloops. And he has to, well, t- he has to suggest that. How about I talk? How about I use words or animal noises and don't make see, the robot I'm not, noises? I can stand up. I'm, I'm Kenny. Kenny Baker would be <laughs> here, right? And, and I'm D Baker is up here. I can show them. Little known fact that they had to use some computers from NASA to turn Kenny Baker's dialogue into those beeps and bloops. <laughs> mm. Not a lot of people realize that. Yeah. <laughs> Some computers up at uh, Skywalker Ranch, I think it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. By way of JPL. I haven't heard the word yet. If you've guessed. The bird is the word, given right? Given my introduction and the initial lines that I had in both of those scenes, what the philosophical thing that I wanted to explore, which is, I'm going to say, related to what we've been talking about, even though it's, it's really not. What is it? It begins with an M. Mangoes? Mm, meandering. What is the most famous, muffed, dumbest philosophy question? M- what might is the, I be what real? Is the meaning of life. <laughs> the meaning of life. The meaning of life. Well, or that's meaning, a song. Meaningfulness <laughs> in general, the at least. The meaning of life. It was very easy to interpret that in emotional terms, just in the first one of, oh, what's the point of us getting in the car? And the second one, not only am I excited to get in the car, but it seemed like driving, there was some essential driving. You know, what is yeah. the meaning of driving? Like, so this character was trying to impose something on that. Shall we get into this potent metaphor or shall we just leave her sitting there? <laughs> or maybe we, maybe she needs some new tires. You know, maybe our potent yeah. metaphor is we haven't been giving it the right kind of gas and it's just not getting us where we want. I was especially interested in this now that so Bill is just getting over COVID. I'm just getting over COVID. I canceled our last two meetings together. It was the same one, then rescheduled because it lasted longer than I thought. I don't know. D, D, have you gone through this? I got it in June, finally. Okay, so we're all pretty latecomers. I backed up and paranoid, and I was actually relieved, and it didn't mess me up too bad. About half my family got it while we were traveling, and then we masked up, and the other half didn't get it. It just could have gone way worse than it did, so I've had it once. My daughter's had it three times. I was surprised. I wanted to check with you guys. A main thing that it did is just sap my will. Maybe it was just like, it's like reading if Heidegger. you have latent depression, then it will bring that out or something like that. But it, like Heidegger does that. To I me. was in a mode. Not only did I just kind of like, I'm tired. My, my throat is sore. But like, oh, if I never record another thing ever, that would be fine with me. I just was an absolute ennui. Was this part of what the experience is supposed to be? Yeah. That's, I think, what drew me to Nietzsche to pull the, the car off the side <laughs> of the road before we even get to Stuckey's is that Nietzsche was all about, you know, vitality and mm-hmm. the heavy depression that philosophy and the system builders had brought us all to. And that's the thing that actually started drawing me to him was that. And that's actually one of the things that I kind of still like about Marcuse is that I think he's pointing towards an optimism and a hopefulness and a better world with some hope of political engagement and progress. And I like that. I like something that's energizing like that. But the reason I I think I steered away from philosophy proper is that it felt to me like once it reached like the late 19th century, it sort of diverged into either literary criticism or stand-up comedy <laughs> and I, or songs, your music maybe. And so 
that just seemed like more fun and more engaging. And it just gave me more energy, you know, like you're saying. And it's like, does the idea have energy? Do I have energy so the ideas can have energy? I've probably had too much caffeine at this point. <laughs> I need to dial that back. Bill, given that you're still getting over the sickness today, did you feel like maybe you've professionalized improv enough so it doesn't feel like coming on here for this podcast in particular, or my four, seems most like if I'm not raring to go, uh, what's the point? I think I may have had the different reaction. It blew through my house and my wife and kids, but none of us got really so ill that we needed... Maybe I took an Advil, you know, one night. Mm. It never got to. Oh, good. It just didn't really hit us very hard for whatever reason. I credit my elephant-like constitution and my will for life and my updated vaccines and boosters. In that order. In that order. (laughs) Knowing that I was sick allowed my brain to be sick and any low-grade depression or anxiety was actually kind of turned off. Uh, because I'm allowed to be lazy. I'm allowed to lay around the house. I'm allowed Mm -hmm. to do all the things that I would hate myself for if I wasn't sick. So the moment I started getting better, that's when I started waking up at 2 a.m. Oh, I got so much to do tomorrow. (laughs) But I slept perfectly fine when when I was ill, if that makes backwards sense. The disease cured you of your life, I think. Exactly. (laughs) Any, you know, functional self-esteem issues were immediately swept away as I had an excuse to be uh, crepulent. Yeah. I have relevance when I'm sick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I wonder if also, as somebody who has little kids, I used to have little kids. My kids are now college age. They're out of the house. That, you know, I'm less in the constant mode of having to care about stuff. <laughs> it's a little more, you know, your kids are not going to take a break in the way that even with your spouse, you could just be like, okay, we're just good. It's fine today. Just don't make any demands on me. I won't make any demands on you. But the kids, you know, always are demanding. And unless you're a bad parent, then hopefully you bring your, your will, you bring your enthusiasm to deal with this. And sort of, it's like a story that's going on that you're going to get swept into whatever is going on with them. And maybe people have jobs, some of them like this. If being a doctor is anything like those medical TV shows, then every day you show up for work and this thing, this life or death situation sweeps you in and you are, you are engaged. This is meaningful. This is the thing that you were put on this earth to do. But, you know, having a more self-motivated job, if I don't bring the game to it, there's no game there. Sure. Yeah. Having a family is like having an audience that imposes the improvisational gets upon you. <laughs> You're not standing on the stage saying, uh, give me a career and an emotion. It's like miserable sickness and a broken dishwasher. It's like, oh, okay, here we go. I guess that we're doing a scene now. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. <laughs> and suddenly it's like, I have to solicit these from an audience now. Now that they're gone, <laughs> gone off to college. I'm almost there. I've got like six more months than we're empty nest. Okay, congratulations. Let me stop and tell you about another podcast. Killed to Death is an improvised true crime podcast. Light on the true crime, heavy on the improv. Every week, one completely made-up murder is solved by interviewing a guest related to the case, a comedian in character. From the details of the case to the whodunit at the end, it's completely made up on the spot, and usually rarely about the details of the case or the whodunit at the end. Some of the amazing guests have included Colin Moshri, Lisa Gilroy, Mark Little, DJ Mausner, every member of the sketch show Tall Boys, YouTube's Carly Thorne, Fargo's Dan Byrne, and many more. Over 360 episodes and counting. New episodes come out every Friday, wherever you get your podcast. Killed to Death, the improvised true crime podcast. It's usually under an hour. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. I hope. My question for you, Mark, about the meaning of life is, I know it's almost hack as a philosophical concept. When was the last major progress made in answering the meaning of life? You know what I'm saying? So I would say existentialism. So Dee was just talking about Marcuse, sure. who's a guy from the 1960s, his big book, One Dimensional Man, 
was combining psychoanalysis and Marxist critical theory critique and stuff of like that. consumer culture with technology. Yeah. Yes. You know, so it's a critique of how today's society is making us all into a bunch of freaking robots, one-dimensional. But that was a big thing in more like the 30s, but it was still very in vogue or maybe most in vogue in the 60s. I don't know. I wasn't alive at the time. But so I'm told it was trendy. Jean-Paul Sartre was still like, you know, a well-known public figure at that time. But that's all negative. That is all an explicit repudiation of the idea that there is any meaning in life and sort of what was cool about that and making people wear the black berets and smoke in cafes is, <laughs> oh, it is also pointless. Let us read our Albal Camus and see how everything is absurd. And, you know, so if there is any meaning, it's just what you bring to the table. There's nothing that is enforced on us by our human nature or God or anything. That's such a downer. I think that's written by somebody <laughs> who nobody wants to hang out with. <laughs> and they're building out a whole story about how all existence is just a projection of nobody wanting to hang out with them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, to bring this back to improv, our scenes, our initiations are meaningless, and they only gain meaning when we respond to them and play with them. So should we do a, to demonstrate a scene, a scene where nobody is into it at all? Oh. <laughs> we just let it. <laughs> or we can keep using the same first line over and over and over again and see what we can get to fall out. That's funny. I'm listening through an autobiography of Barry Sonnenfeld, the director. And there's a time when he was going down in a plane that he thought was going to crash. And he just kept saying, this is how I die. This is how I die. This is how I die. And he just he, he kept saying that line over and over again as he thought he was going to die. And that's how he dealt with it. Give me, give me five. This is how he's going to die. Yeah. yeah. I'll often do that driving around where I, I do like my best, which is terrible, a terrible Charlton Heston impression where I just say, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I just I just say, oh, my God, all day long in all these different spins on it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but again, for anyone new to the voice acting world, that kind of thing is just like, oh, just say it five or six times differently. And we'll pick the one we like. All right. <laughs> and, and it's up to you. It's coming upon you to just come up with some different ones, fun, little interesting nuggets that might fit. And that's your job. That's what you do. Yeah. 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 So I think I could start a scene based oh. on what we're just. Uh, that, that's fair as well. Oh, it's scene time. Here we uh, children, uh, let us uh, get in the car. It is uh, uh, time for us to... Oh, Pierre, why, why do you uh, object to getting into the car at this particular time? Father, don't make Pierre that... sad again. Don't make him sad, Are we going sad, to that boring museum? We're going to the, the very interesting museum. Both of you will learn how art will elevate your soul. It will give you some reason to get out of bed in the morning. You, the reason you don't want to get in the car is because you haven't yet been to the museum. Once you will be at the museum, then you will definitely want to have been in the car to get to the museum. But the existentialist museum, I mean, once they let you in, Father, they just never let you out, and you're just stuck with the same three people in the same room. That is a myth. That is It is? That was a, a temporary exhibit, the no-exit exhibit, where three people would be trapped in the room, and then... But the, the other people, most of us, odds are, in a given day, you would be one of the observers of the three people. You would not yourself be locked in. Yes, my, my friends Harry, Gary, and Larry, they, they paid the extra admission to get into that, and they never got out. I never saw them again. So, huh? I, I was. You never saw them me. again. No, I never saw them again. The, the exhibit went away, and they went away, and it, and so I'm, I'm fearful of of Dad. You can't art is art is transformative. Sometimes you maybe are not recognizable by your your friends and acquaintances after you leave the exhibit because it's so life changing. We pop. That's on. the only explanation I can think of. Dad, you you're always doing these things to to try to make us into into you and to it's like. Can Barry and I just be ourselves? Is that is that cool? Can we pick what museum we go to? I'd be okay I, if I can transform into a werewolf, maybe. Ah, uh, this werewolf fantasy again. I thought you would have grown out of the werewolf fantasy by now. Papa, You've... Papa, it is a dream I've had since since I was a young child. To grow so hair, yesterday. to sprout hair, and to, and to hunt among the forest people. Yeah, what good is an art museum going to do for Barry the werewolf? I suppose, as an existentialist, you might think that your nature is not determined by the mere fact of your human genetics, and that if you want to be a wolf, you could uh, become a wolf. Yes, Papa, that has always been my greatest dream. Here now, my wolf's howl. I've been working on it. Ow! Ow! 
That is a very pained wolf. That is a look. Uh, the hair standing up on my arm. Yeah, Barry's got this. Okay, he's in control right. of his destiny. He's finding meaning on his own. Okay, we well, don't need to so, go see a bunch so of- Pierre, how are you going to find meaning? What What is your werewolf? My what? What is your equivalent dream of, of becoming something more than you are? Minecraft tutorial videos on YouTube. Duh. I mean, I've already made several of them. I mean, that is, I suppose, a thing that could be done if you want to waste our open-ended human nature on Minecraft, which seems like it's a very limiting thing, but perhaps you are just afraid of the vast chasm of possibility and need to... Is it a lot of modding? Because I hear with the modding, it really does open the possibilities back up. It's an infinite world, Dad. It can be anything you want it to be, all right? And in creative mode, you can build exactly the world however you want, all right? And there's a lot of people out there who want the keys to the kingdom, all right? I've been playing a lot, and I think I can share it with them, okay? Let your brother in and let him do his wolf thing in your, your Minecraft world. Yeah. Okay, that'll be the next video. We'll oh, mod Papa. some werewolves into Minecraft. Papa, finally I can build the werewolf castle that I've always dreamed of in Minecraft, and I, and I won't have to go to a museum. Although I know it makes you sad, Papa. I've seen you crying, crying at night alone with your beer because we were we resisted the museums that you try to get us to go to. I know this existentialism museum sounds interesting and fun to you, Papa, but I just have to sit you down right now and let you know that it doesn't sound like any fun. Well, I appreciate that you bore through a day at the Phenomenology Museum, just sort of seeing what it was like to uh, encounter a physical object. I, I tried, what it Papa. Was like. I tried. I wanted to please you. The cafe yeah. was nice. I liked the cafe there. The yeah, cafe. what it was like to be at a cafe. That was kind of, a, I mean, it was it was just as much describing the cafe as eating the food in the cafe. But I appreciate, I know you guys were a little bored there. You got through it. I didn't, this is the first I'm hearing, Dad, about you crying. And oh, Papa, how you wept. The weeping is something that can come out. It's sort of inversely proportional to uh, my fake French accent that I oh. affect because I've always wanted to be a, a Frenchman. And I realized that a lot of my uh, reading choices, my fashion choices, the 26 berets, not a raspberry beret, none of that crap in my house. But, you know, all the other kinds of berets that littered my closet, they do speak to my identifying as a French person. Oh, but Papa, your life as a Papa has, has been actually quite successful. You've very successfully raised a Minecraft genius and a wannabe werewolf. And this is how we find our way in the world, Papa. The- we'll, we'll, we'll let mom be a mulligan. She was, I mean, she came to the table with some unfortunate baggage. So let's just, that's, that's your mulligan right there. And getting at least one of my children to call me Papa was a major victory. I mean, Pierre, I gave you the French name and yet you can't even freaking, you know. I just, I just, I don't like the affectation. All right. I don't like putting on airs. Okay. It seems fakey and performative. If you put on airs enough, you become the airs. That's what the existentialists, I, I think that's a quote. I think that's a Sartre quote. Put on the airs enough. You're the airs right there. It's you, the airs. Huh? Papa, would you be ashamed if we were all covered in airs? If you took us both, your game-playing son and your werewolf son, to the museum, would you be ashamed of us or would we make you proud? It would make me very proud. You could wear your whole werewolf costume you could dress up in your pure in your in your Minecraft hat, you know, as long as we get to the museum, because it really I got to tell you, even though the, the no exit thing has passed, they have a new exhibit called the plague. And goddamn, it is trippy. Like you just there's like rubber bodies and stuff that you can kind of feel around and dead rats and sort of the despair is palpable. I think you think it was pretty cool. I mean, Papa, it's, it's, I could totally be a werewolf in this setting. I must go there. Please take take yeah. me take me now to this new exhibit. Uh, I tell you what, Dad, we'll go to this museum with you on one condition: you can't what? narrate as we as we're going around. All right, that would overdetermine your experience. So that that is that's fair. Let's is that just, fair? Just get, I just whispering in, in the, the, the whole time. Merci, Papa. Merci. All right, we are going to stop at Stucky's on the way, though. And scene. Yay! <laughs> oh, the Stuckies call back. <laughs> Ever fruitful. Now you got to go, Mark. You got to find where the nearest one is. <laughs> you just got to go. <laughs> what are some other museums we could have gone to? The Social Contract Museum? Oh, man. The, the, <laughs> the museum There's got to be late capitalism. A, a museum museum. Like, that seems mm. very philosophical. Like, what is a museum, really? 
I mean, are we looking at the real thing? I mean, the second we remove this thing from its context, is it still what it was? I think in the age of the internet, when the internet becomes so prevalent that there's just no point in going to a physical space anymore, there will be a physical space that'll be like, in the old days, people used to go to spaces and look at things. Here's the kind of thing that they might have a natural history museum. Now we just step into the, the pod and are exposed firsthand to all of natural history. But you have to used to go and, and look at stupid rubber things. That's the disarming of humanity that happens in late techno-capitalism <laughs> that Marcuse railed against right there. Any of y'all familiar with the Henry Ford Museum in Dearborn, Greenfield Village, I want to say it's called, where he, uh, he went around the country and got famous buildings and had them moved to this fake little town. So hmm. it's like, oh, it's the Wright Brothers Bicycle Shop across the street from Thomas Edison's lab. Oh, and there's the Toll House Cookie. They're all like literally on the same street. Wow. And I went when I was a kid and it was like, Oh, this is kind of cool, but what about the poor places these things used to be? <laughs> you know, now no one is going to the original sites that these things were at. So he'd like go factory hunting. So I'd come on, come on, lads! So all my workers follow me. We're going, <laughs> we're going factory hunting. <laughs> <laughs> what would an improv museum look like exactly? Would it be wax, uh, animatronic uh, groundlings, whatever? It would just be a giant mirror. A giant Whoa. Mirror. Welcome to the monkey house. I think that, that sounds like the <laughs> uh the ripoff that would be a particular display within the existentialism museum. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of just stare into the void. The void is staring back yeah, at yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, Humanity and the end of humanity. And it's a mirror. It's like, oh my gosh, I hate you so much. <laughs> the plague. That's all it is. Oh, come on. Do you share my at least prima facie annoyance with the question of what is the meaning of life that people think this is a philosophy question? I mean, was this a question, D, when you were studying philosophy that you took seriously and thought was a legitimate question? It's not a bad place, I guess, to start, but it more ends up being the kind of hacky flip of that is, you know, what is the life of meaning? What mm -hmm. is the meaning of boredom? What, 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 what is the um, prospect of an idea or an energy or a laughter or a life well lived? That becomes a more interesting question, at least for me anyway. I, and I think that's kind of where it it steered me away from the more kind of cut and dried view, although I very much still have that in terms of how I kind of slice and dice and Frankenstein together how I process the world or my life. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's, you know, again, stop me if I'm wrong here, but I feel like it's not a philosophy question anymore, but a psychology question. It's more like, do you need to know the meaning of life of your life in order to be able to function in society? Well, then we need to figure this out for you, says your therapist. You know, it's like, it's, it's less like, there's an answer, and we're going to find it. We're going to keep, you know, science is going to keep experimenting. We'll figure it out. It's like, no, it's, it's more, more the realm of psychology, maybe, than philosophy. Because often someone asking that kind of a question, like, what's the meaning of life? is like, well, why are you asking me that question? <laughs> because I think you have an answer, and I think you want me to buy into your answer. Or you don't have an answer and, and yeah. desperately are awake at night. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so there's like this uh, subtext to such question rather than, you know, what's a day that feels great? What's a great life? What's a life without regret? What's a life well-lived, uh, maybe? What's a story that I want to hear, you know? Yeah, I mean, the question itself, I, f I feel like, is a theological question. Like, it only actually literally makes sense yeah. if there's somebody there that, you know, there's a God that means us to be doing something in particular, and you could either be doing that or you could be failing to do that. And so there is a right answer. Once you get rid of that, the thing that Nietzsche was worried about in God is dead is that we'll all become nihilists, that we'll find no meaning in anything and we'll find no reason to get out of bed. Once you have this high bar of expectation that there is an objective meaning that I'm searching for, and then you decide, well, that's not really tenable. That doesn't really, I'm not a theist anymore. It doesn't really make sense. Then you could go into some pit of despair and, and making the evolution toward seeing it as a psychological question. The way you keep talking about it, D, is not just a psychological question. It's not like, will you most enjoy this profession rather than this profession? But as a life well lived, like it's still searching for some sort of transcendent, you know, what will actually be not just will fill my time and amuse me and focus me enough that I don't fall into a pit of despair, but that is still in some sense what I'm supposed to be doing a life well lived. Is that what that means to you or? Well, yeah, there's play and there's openness to how you're going to paint that picture. 
It's the phrasing, it's the article, right? What is the meaning of life implies there is a the meaning of life, as opposed to what is a meaning of life or what is a meaningful life. And then it's like, well, you can actually take that different directions and it's still acceptable, right? But if there's only one the meaning of life, then like you're saying, you've got a whole metaphysical agenda that's behind this then because you've got one kind of lens that you're going to view life through. And that is more often than not a grift. I'm presuming the answer to the question, the accepted answer to the question has changed over time as humanity has changed over time and our understanding of life in the world and, you know, some eras are more pious than others and some parts of humanity are more theological and whatnot. And I bet the answer has actually shifted a little bit. Is that, is well, that and, true? And, or? I, and classist, I would assume that like your meaning of your life as a servant is to be the best damn servant that you can be. And if you're not happy with that, then you don't know your place. Yeah, you're yeah, getting yeah. above your raisin. What is the meaning of being my servant? <laughs> it says as much about the asker of the question than about the people who, yeah. who are trying to come up with a good answer so they don't get whipped. The meaning of my <laughs> life is to make messes. The meaning of your life is to clean them up. Right. right there you go. <laughs> Should we finish off with another? I don't know if we've done four scenes ever, but this could be the record breaker. Have we uh, finished it off already? <laughs> so maybe D, you can start us on the scene and Bill, you could still have the first response to demonstrate something else about your lesson here before we wrap that part up. And we can still keep this thing going if D's feeling like it. Okay. All right, kids, we're going to build ourselves a car. And we're going to drive out of here once and for all. Who's with me? Uh, I'm just so scared, Pop. I just, I love the idea of kind of Gilligan's Islanding a car together. I think that's cool, but I'm, is that something we can pull off reasonably? I know we're on a desert island. I know this seems crazy, but uh, listen, I had a dream last night and I know that we have the sun, we have the wind. We have coconuts. We got a lot of coconuts. We got a lot of coconuts. Lord knows we have a lot of coconuts. We've got water flow. These are all forces that we can marshal to put together into a car to get us off this island. And we're going to do it by golly today. Now, who's with me? Reluctantly, I'm with you. I'm with you. Reluctantly. But okay. The island is itself not bad. It's just if we had some sort of... Uh, uh, more than just us, like, a, you know, a couple females or something. Gross, you know, gross, Donald, out, gross. Donald. Fill out the uh, population. Yes, the giant carnivorous plants and the birds that constantly peck at our heads, they can be of quite interesting. But from my perspective, I just want to get the heck away from it. And yes, you're right. If there were women folk, it would be a more conjugal and interesting place to hang out. But for me, my idea for that I glean in this dream is that we can find all of these things without the head-pecking birds and the carnivorous animals on land. It's almost like I can almost see it. If we could just get that water car that I've dreamed of put together. We can come back. We can come back, Donald. Once we get off. Yes. We can come back. Can right. we just bring a couple of the head-pecking birds? I mean, I, I've kind of grown attached to the head-pecking. Tell you what. Birds. What if two of us left and we came back later to check on you and we could maybe bring some supplies, but you wouldn't have to leave the head pecking birds and the carnivorous animals and the and the complete dearth of female companionship on this island. I would be more lonely. I, I, I think that less people and I'd miss you, know, you son. more solitude yeah. is not what I'm searching for here. We got to stick together, Pop. We got to stick together. Yeah, you're right. We got to stick together. As long as it's not a really a one-way trip that I just feel like we've established ourselves. I mean, we've really grown into ourselves here with the stimulation of the headpacking and the, the carnivorous plants, the danger. Don't you feel more alive here than... than uh... Lord knows, son, the pecking on the head by the birds makes me feel more a man. It makes me feel more myself. And I think that we've really come into our own here, stranded on this island all of these years, all of these countless lonely bird head pecking years i mean it's it's two years but yeah go ahead yeah, both of those countless. years they, it seems very long it was a slog to be fair and to be diplomatic it was a slog i'm ready to go home i'm ready to experience the world i'm ready to find out who won the last two super bowls and if you think a water car is the way to go let's do this let's do point of order yes w would you be yes. upset the, Dad? the chair recognizes my son yes 
If we were to call the water car a boat, are you okay with that? In my brain, and maybe this is the sun and a steady diet of coconuts talking, but I really think a boat would be... Sun, after a few moments of reflection and some eyes open meditation, I think I'm okay with calling it a boat. To my mind, it's a car. It's a water car, plain and simple, because it's got wheels that spin around that we attach the ferns to, but... A, a plane, plain and simple? Could we make it, could we call it a water plane? Could we just fly out of here? Oh, my goodness. Does the, did your dream give you that? I mean, as long as we're making up bullshit here, like, let's, let's my fly My genius out. son, I knew there was a reason that I had you. Your mother and I argued incessantly whether to stay with one child or to go with two, and she went out, and we had you, our second genius child. But you have pointed the way. You have pointed the way. We are going to build a plane out of coconuts and palm trees and we're going to tie the head-pecking birds to the palms, and by golly, we're going to fly home today. I mean, that's the first sensible thing I've heard. Uh, well, where do we start? Uh, can I get some vines or some, some bamboo? First, I'm going to have you find some head-pecking birds. Oh, you got to tie them together with a piece of twine or rope. I think there's still some rope left from where we crashed our boat originally. And then my other genius son and I will gather the coconuts and the palm trees. Put your big old head out there for them to peck to attract them. You're the ones who wanted the hen pecking birds. I, I just like seeing them peck your head. I mean, it's it's pretty. There's not a lot of things that, to amuse me here and uh, watching. You boys just make my heart swell with pride. You are just the funniest, most fun lovingest sons I ever had. Clearly, this is the salty air and, and sun. We are red. We are scabbed. We are covered in lesions from multiple sunburns. Clearly, this has gotten into our brains. Can we please build a boat? Can we just build a boat? Can we please build a boat? What if it, like, is one that can convert? Huh? That it's like a boat, and then you push a button, and then it flies? Those are goddamn cool. We'll start with a boat, and then we'll worry about the conversion. My reasonable, less brilliant son does have a point that maybe we should find this compromise and create a boat that can fly. I'll take that. I'll take that. So that we can get back to the technological capitalist society that we left and that we miss so dearly and that has, through its, its horrible instruments of control, has convinced us that it's way better life than this life on this deserted island paradise with head-pecking birds. You know, as long as there's some, some chicks there, I'm, I'm good with it. Gross, gross. Birds have chicks. Civilization has... Even gross. No, that's not what he's... Let's let's uh let's just get this started. We're gonna put some fruit on your head to attract the henpecking. We'll stop right there. Uh, okay, right. we'll stop right there. <laughs> oh golly, those all went. All of them featured poor bedraggled fathers trying to keep their Bedra keep their sons in line. Bedraggled fathers trying to get in the car. That's <laughs> trying to remember their their sons' names. That's philosophy. Is universalizing <laughs> your your immediate. The circumstance. <laughs> <laughs> but again, I think it's interesting. The improv point, this whole idea of what is meaning, what is the meaning of a scene, you know, it, it's not tied up in the first line. We can do analog scenes all day and they'll still be different because we're different and those lines are different it and is, the meaning is going to be different. And it's but a springboard. Yes. And even if you never necessarily do that on stage, I feel like, especially with students and things, it's like, look, y'all, we're not just waiting around for you to say something funny. We can create things with little to no originality and still have them be wildly different and mistakes are welcomed you embrace a mistake or a pause or that's it's like that's when things get good <laughs> that's where meaning can develop right there you go <laughs> all right so we were at the judging stage uh -oh. and i think oh, now i think judgment. our current <laughs> our current method bill I, I feel like we've informally done this but that the guest is the tiebreaker for sure Sure. But that each of us can can express whether we think, and D still has to go first, though. Uh-oh. Uh, the, the philosophy lesson or the improv lesson in this particular discussion will affect you most profoundly. Is the thing that you will walk away wondering most about that you imagine the rest of the world will be more shocked and affected and transformed by hearing. The takeaway for me just has to be that even if you're flailing around trying to answer the same damn question every single day, you've still got a lot of fun and time well spent, and it's worth it. 
<laughs> so is that a, is that column P or column I? All things are born of improv, uh, but not all things are born of philosophy. So I'm going to put that under I. All right, Bill, should we just let D be the decider or, or do we want to, we could outvote him if both of us vote P, but I want to, I want to see what your opinion of how to filibuster this. In, in all truth, I thought what I brought in was a little perfunctory, but again, it's something I live with every day. So the idea thinking deeper about the question, the meaning of life and how it has changed and how, and hearing D talk about how the simple question itself has changed. That actually, I, I'd never really considered that. I never really thought about that. Well, that's nice to hear, and I'm glad to get your opinion. Still voting? Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Then it doesn't matter what I vote. So I'm just I want not the win. Gonna, I need the win. I don't win. want the responsibility of having a vote here. So <laughs> this, uh, is, D, this is zero sum competition between philosophy and improv. <laughs> yes. Wow. Because that is, uh, is really you need a bottom line. All right. If there's if your podcast doesn't have a bottom line, what is its meaning? What is its point? All those other podcasts that don't have a bottom line, don't have a clear winner at the end, just not even worth listening to. Yeah. Why listen? If it's not a competition. <laughs> We're all just comparing our bottom lines here. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, increasingly, I'd rather not do that. Thank you, Dee, for joining us today. It was really a pleasure to get you on here acting goofy with us. Excellent stuff. Thanks. Excellent stuff. A lot of fun. Indeed. Indeed. And I learned a heap from you today, Bill. I learned a ton from you, Mark. And I learned so much from both of you, my sons. <laughs> <laughs> so long, <laughs> listeners. And... Scene. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed the show. Get more at philosophyimprov.com. If you want to support the show and not have to hear any more commercials and get our post-game segments where Bill and I and sometimes guests will elaborate on some things that came up in the episode, reflect on the future, and share our recommendations in the philosophy and comedy worlds, you can see options to do that at philosophyimprov.com slash support. Thanks. Maybe I should sell my soul. Bankrupt! Bankrupt! Bankrupt.